We'll be in John chapter 14, continuing our study here, and looking at verses 12 through 18, or thereabouts, this afternoon. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Shall we pray? Loving Father, that you will bless your word this afternoon, do minister to our hearts these important truths of the scriptures that we may not only be comforted but realize of the great promises that you gave to us and of the great hope that we have and the abiding presence of the Spirit of God and of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have, of course, a wonderful passage of scripture and we find that many of these promises uh, keep surfacing every now and then in the scriptures and at this particular place as the Lord has been talking to his own disciples and seeking to encourage them and to minister to them concerning what would happen after he left them we find that the promise of the comforter and advocate is one of those very important promises that the disciples would um, not only learn to Uh, take part of but realize that God meant this for them that they would be a continuation of the work which the Lord Jesus himself began as he himself did comfort them and did minister to them while he was upon the earth and since we are disciples even as they were disciples of Christ we find that these truths are of course very important to us and uh, very much a ministry to us and that we need to keep them uh, in our own thoughts and in our walk of faith that we might take part of these things. First of all, a promise given concerning prayer. That he does give them a promise here that he would answer prayer for them and that if anything was asked in his name, he would answer that prayer. And we'll talk about what that means because... You know, some people may get the notion that they can pray anything and everything and God is somehow obliged to, you know, answer prayer, to answer that prayer. Well, that simply is not the case. And so we want to look at the context of what that is all about. Uh, Secondly, it says, a promise concerning another comforter. Notice the word another is being used here. Jesus was their comforter. He was with them. He abided with them on a daily basis. And he did minister to them. And he did comfort them. But he would send another. Another uh, that was similar in sense. In the sense that the Spirit of God would come. 
um, Jesus wouldn't come again himself, not at this time. No, that is a promise that he would later fulfill. But he would send the Holy Spirit of God. Now we know that there is a, a much said about the Spirit of God in the Bible. And we find that the Spirit of God then would play a significant role in establishing the work of the ministry and, of course, the ability of the disciples to go out and to do the work of the Church of Jesus Christ. And uh, so we pray, uh, we, we all pray and ask God to send His Spirit among us and to do a work, and um, we find that He does. Uh, thirdly, a promise uh, concerning the indwelling Holy Spirit of Christ. Now, the promise of His coming was one thing, but the indwelling of the Spirit of God would be a unique, unique um, relationship that God would institute in His church. We know the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people to do specific jobs, whether it be revelation that was given, or whether it be a specific task that God meant for them to perform. And in some cases, of course, the Spirit of God continued to abide with them throughout their ministry, and at other times uh, that might not be the case. But So the Holy Spirit didn't indwell every person in the Old Testament or every Old Testament saint. But we find that that is not what he means here. He means that in the New Testament there would be the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every single believer. Every single one who professed the name of Christ. Every single one who was, who was truly belong, chosen of God and was a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. The, the, the Holy Spirit indwells them even today. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we find that this is something quite unique to the church in the New Testament. And so these are the three areas we'll look at uh, here this afternoon. First of all, let's look at verse 12 and, uh, through 14. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so this promise here that uh, God was going to um, equip his disciples to do greater works than he did was a very unique uh, part of the work that Jesus meant to accomplish in the early church. And the reason we find that this would be fulfilled is because, well, Jesus would no longer be here, would he? It does not say that they would be equal with God. It doesn't say that they would be God. It says that they would do greater works uh, or significant works as he did them, but greater still because the work of the ministry that he began would continue. They would continue. And so the apostles would not uh, do more stupendous works in the sense that greater than Jesus did, no, but uh, would they, they would be able to do works which would carry on that work of the ministry which would be greater still than Jesus did. Not greater than, but greater still. Uh, for we find that um, uh, Jesus did many miracles such as healing and 
such as feeding the 5,000 and walking on water and only the only things that God could do. Uh, and even forgave sins, only things that God could do. But Jesus would equip the disciples to go in His name. In His name. Uh, there would be some 3,000 souls saved on occasions. There would, there would be more, many more thousands of souls saved. And so that work of, that the Lord Jesus began to do, the saving of souls, the great commission which He would lay upon the disciples would be a greater work still in that they would continue the work that Jesus did. Jesus would be leaving. He would go to be with the Lord. He would not be there uh, as their captain and leader uh, in the sense of leading them on. No, but He would finish the work that that the Father gave Him to do. He would accomplish that work of redemption. He would secure the plan of salvation to the souls of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are chosen. He says, I know whom I have chosen. Those He had chosen. And they would continue to go and they would do the work of evangelism, and many more kinds of miracles. In fact, we find that the book of Acts is quite full of various kinds of miracles that many of them did. And so they would do greater works still. More. They would do more works. Even as Jesus did many, they would continue that great work of God. And especially as we consider the work of salvation and the great works of evangelism that would follow would be truly works that would be meant to be done and accomplished in in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And they would not do them in the name of themselves, but in Jesus' name. And so the promise given concerning prayer, which is in Jesus' name, by the way, he says as we continue reading, whatever ye shall ask in my name, in my name, that I will do, the, um, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, see, here is a, a very key element, isn't it? That when we ask prayer, we do ask it in Jesus' name, but it's not just a, a tag on the end of a prayer. I mean, oh, we should, by the way, put that name on the, on the end of our prayer. But that is not what it's talking about here. Because, you know, that would assign that we could just say any kind of prayer and add the name of Jesus to it and and think we're going to to get what we want. But that is not the case. And I think most uh, believing Christians, most uh, conscionable Christians uh, would understand that. Most spiritually minded Christians would understand that. What do we really mean by that, to pray in Jesus' name? Well, we would pray in a way that we would know that God would sanction the very things we are requesting of Him. He would sanction them. He would say, yes, I I want that to be accomplished. We would pray such things that we know God wants to accomplish. Many, Many collective prayers, when the pastor comes to pray collectively or cooperately together, when we pray, Lord, bless our assembly, we know that Jesus wants to bless our assembly. Lord, send forth your word into the hearts and lives of people. We know that God wants to do that. Lord, we pray that the Father will be glorified in the Son. We know that God wants to do that. 
When a missionary goes to a foreign field and is dedicated in serving the Lord, do they not pray that God will prosper their journey and continue to help them to do the work of the ministry? These things, you might say, oh, they're very general prayers. No, no, they're not. No, you're asking God to do something for you. You're asking God to do something that you cannot do yourself. You cannot bless your own ministry. You cannot save the souls yourself. You cannot, you cannot prosper your own way. You cannot do those kinds of things that will truly glorify God. But God can. And there may be more specific things that in a, in a sense of, of a time when there is an urgency or when there is a, a sense of great need as many of the disciples, of course, would find those, those opportunities of praying um, in the book of Acts. And the early Acts of the Apostles were truly a very unique time of God doing His work among His own Apostles and the disciples, that He might be glorified. And that the Spirit of God may do a great work among people. And of course all these things were done. These things were done. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we should be careful. Well, we don't want to assign anything to Jesus' name that really wouldn't be honoring to Him now, do we? Some selfish prayer is not honoring to Jesus. Some, some kind of prayer which is very very much arrogant or full of pride or, or self or, or maybe ambition or something. We, we should be very careful what we pray for in Jesus' name and make it something worthy of that name is what I am saying. Make it something worthy of that name. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, in my name, you're using my name, he says, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Well, I can think of one particular occasion. There was an, perhaps an example of this in the uh, early part when Jesus was upon the earth. Some of the disciples came to him and said, Oh, these people over here, they're, they're, they're using your name and they're, they're, they're healing, they're doing ministry. What should we do? Should we let them continue? And, and Jesus kind of chided them a little bit and told them, Oh, leave them alone if they're, if they're doing it in my name. Leave them alone. They're, they're, they're going to honor me. You know, sometimes we get all bent out of shape. They don't have the name Baptist in front of it or something. Or they have some other name. Let God handle the details. Let God do that. Let's just make sure the things we are asking for are those things that will honor the Lord. And, and, and truly be laid at the feet of Jesus as worthy of his ministry. That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Oh, here is a key part of it too. We do it in Jesus' name and we do it that the Father may be glorified. The Father in heaven will be glorified in the Son. I see that kind of locks it up, doesn't it? There isn't much wiggle worm there. We, 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 can't, we can't find any other reason to do it but to glorify God the Father and the Son. And not in any other reason. And so it is very important that we keep it within the, um, within the true credibility of the Spirit of God, of glorifying the Father, of glorifying the Son, and to make those prayers that may be most glorifying to Him.
If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, of course, the Lord ought to be emphatic about about telling His own disciples to pray and that He was going to help them. Uh, Should I put some addendum on it? Well, only if you do this, only if you do that, only if you're only in the right occasion, only, 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 only. Maybe he should add a whole list of things. No, he just says, if you do it in my name, I will answer. I will answer. Because that in itself qualifies the prayer enough. It, It qualifies the prayer enough. And everything else... Uh, certainly is in God's hands. It's in God's hands. And so, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it, he says. I will do it. And so, a prayer, a promise given concerning prayer, uh, was important to the disciples at this particular juncture. And, well, it is today too, isn't it? We, we have so many needs. In, in, in church ministry and many times we kind of wonder we scratch our proverbial heads and say you know what should we do and uh, how should we pray concerning this or, or that but I think that this kind of simplifies it for us and it may kind of eliminate certain prayers that we might make and just bring it down to this I guess I will just pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would want this done And I guess I will pray that God the Father would be glorified in heaven above all else and that He will glorify the Son. And if we do that, there is it very much that He won't answer. That He won't answer. And so He leaves it it to that. Secondly, we find here the promise concerning another comforter. And I say another because that's what the scripture indicates. Another indicating that Jesus was already their comforter. He is already their comforter. Now, of course, what does the word comforter mean here? It means to counsel and it means advocate. Jesus is a counselor and an advocate to us. Now, of course, while he was upon the earth, he did much of that for the disciples. Many times that they came to him and asked him questions and he gave them the counsel, the wise counsel that he was able to give them. And he was able to advocate for them, uh, defend them, if you will. It is the word parakletos and it does mean comfort, comfort or comforter, and it does mean counsel, and it does mean advocate. Um, And uh, so we recognize that Jesus would send a comforter, one like unto him, that would carry on in their own hearts and lives the kind of counseling, the kind of comforting, the kind of advocating for them that they needed. And he says to them, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever and so the um, the admonition is to is to love him and to keep his commandments um, but realizing that as we are faithful and loyal to the Lord Jesus uh, he does not leave us on our own nor did he leave them on their own but rather promise the coming of the Spirit of God 
and we find that the Spirit of God was meant to come. It says in verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, and it is capitalized, and it is the word pneuma, and it does mean Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it is the Spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, the spirit of truth. We know also that the job of the spirit of God is to um, communicate those things which Christ himself would communicate if he were here. Um, His word, certainly his word is meant to be communicated to us. Also, the very things that God would convict us of. He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He is that one to comfort and to counsel, the one who ministers to us in the midst of difficulty. And we know according to Romans chapter 8, even the one who uh, kind of goes before us in prayer, that our prayers may truly be communicated in a way that is pleasing to God. And that God himself is the the one who um, is greatly affected through the work of the Spirit of God, through, through Him as that advocate to us, for us, that um, we may receive those proper answers to our prayer uh, in many situations. He says, I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. The word for pray here is not the same as when we pray. Uh, this idea of prayer here is the same as Jesus is in union with the Father and so he meant to pray to, to go unto the Father with this request that the Spirit of God would come and so it's not like a subservient person uh, praying such as you and I praying unto God no, Jesus and the Father were, were one in purpose and in many things which they wish to accomplish. And so it is that God, uh, Jesus was just simply telling the disciples, I won't leave you here without some help. I will, I will seek, the, seek the Father's will in this, that the, that, the, that the Spirit of God will come and will be a counselor, a comforter, and advocate unto, unto you. The promise concerning another to come Um, I suppose it was the fears of the disciples that they would be left alone and we know during that very turbulent time uh, the transitionary period when Christ was taken and of course uh, brought to the hall of judgment and was cruelly treated and then later crucified and all of that great darkness which fell upon the the people, especially the disciples, um, that they no doubt felt very much alone. And so these words would mean a lot to them when they began to realize that God would fulfill His promise to them. And in in a very practical way, I'm sure you look to God in those times when you were troubled. And if you could not rest assured that the Spirit of God was with you and that God was going to comfort you during those difficult times, you perhaps would turn to other things like the world does. Wouldn't you? Because the world turns to all kinds of different things in the midst of trouble and difficulty, don't they? 
to kind of satisfy that need of that they have. And it's very sad, you know, that the world does that. And I was listening to a documentary recently um, of one of the movie stars, and he made his own documentary. This this movie star did, and I won't I won't bother to tell his name, but it doesn't matter. Uh, what the what, what the movie star did is he he documented his life in video from a very early time when he was uh, developing his acting career, and he began to put everything on video. and And later, when he suffered cancer and and wasn't able to act anymore, and when his life just seemed to fall apart and was in the midst of crisis, constant crisis. Um, you know, he tried to put all these videos together and to tell his story. But at one place, you know, he he kind of um, looked inward just a little bit, and and there was a great emptiness there. He didn't have anything really to fall back on, other than the memories of all of these things that he had done. And it was the it was kind of sad in the documentary to see that he had really no faith in God at all and that he had no hope of eternal life. And it came out in, you know, what he was saying. And, it, you know, that's too bad. That kind of, It's kind of a mirror of where many people are in the world. You know, they, they go through so many different things. They, they, they accomplish, perhaps in some sense, some greatness. I mean, to be an actor and produce great movies and to be a star, so-called, uh, on the silver screen, you know, may be considered too many to be very successful. But then in the end of life, uh, it's kind of like the devil and Daniel Mouse. You know, the the idea that you had to soul, sell your soul to the devil in order to accomplish all these things, and in the end, it's the devil who wins. You end up with a great emptiness and no true faith in God. And uh, that's where this fellow was, and it's very sad. But for us as believers, we find that the Word of God gives us such hope because we not only have a Savior who died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was, was buried and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, but, the, but God the Son sent forth by the will of the Father the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does a regenerative work in the hearts and lives of people. According to John chapter 3, the Spirit of God is that which gives us that new birth from above. The Spirit of God does that work within us. And uh, we find that this is all because of what Christ has done. And this, this other comforter, this another comforter, is the Spirit of God. It's the pneuma. It is the Spirit of God. And He dwells within the believer. And that's what he says. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is how the believer is known. Whether we are commandment, whether we are keeping the commandments of the Lord, whether we are true to the ideals of Christ and, and what he has told us to do and how we are to live. If we are true to that, he says, if you love me, if you realize that uh, I have given my agape love to you and you you also are in, in reciprocating in the same way. He says, he says, keep my commandments, 
and I will give you this comforter of great hope, abiding presence, with, and he will be with you forever. He will be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Now see, here it is. The world knows nothing about the Spirit of truth. They know nothing about it. They do not receive this. But we do, as, as Christians. We receive that Spirit of truth. Uh, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Now the Spirit of God, of course, as I said in John chapter 3, we're indicated that the Spirit of God is that which does the new birth in us. We find in Colossians 1.27 that it is Christ. In you, the hope of glory. Now, how does the Lord Jesus Christ indwell us and the Spirit of God indwell us at the same time? How, do, how does that come about? Well, because this other comforter is sent by the Spirit, by Christ Himself. He's sent by Christ Himself. And so Christ is in us through the work of the Spirit of God. Though He left and went to be with the Father, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and that He is our intercessor for us as our great High Priest. And just as the triunity of the God that is one in purpose and in essence, uh, so is the Spirit of God and Christ in the very Spirit of God. And yes, Christ is in you through the Spirit of God. Christ is in you. Christ is in me. They are, they are three distinct persons of the Godhead, but yet they are one. That is the uniqueness of the triunity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each of them functioning within the design of the Godhead that we might know of the fullness of Jesus Christ in us. The fullness of Christ in us. Now, of course, all these things are quite difficult to explain except to say what the Bible says about them. And that is how we, be we best explain them, is to just say what the Bible has to say about them. In verse 18 he says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Now in verse 18 here, this is a unique uh, variation of the word comfort. He says comfortless. But it is not the word parakletos. It is the word orphanos. We get the word orphan from it. He says, I won't leave you parentless. I won't leave you without a parent. I won't leave you without a counselor, without a guide, without an advocate, without a comforter. You know, all of those things that a parent does for a child. He says, I won't leave you without, I won't leave you comfortless, orphanos. Or as an orphan. I won't leave you as an orphan. We all know what an orphan is. No, he says, he says that he would, he would in fact abide with them or dwell with them. And so in verse 17, he speaks about that. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now immediately we might think he's talking about perhaps at the resurrection when he came back for a little while. But that would only be for a little while. And he didn't say, I, would, I will come to you for a little while. 
No, the Spirit of God would assure that Christ would be known to us throughout our ministry, throughout our time, and forever that Christ would be with us. And the Spirit of God would dwell in us. And that's why we look to such passages as Colossians 1, 25 to 27, which indicates to us that that great mystery of the church, which was once hidden in the past, is now revealed to us. And that mystery, once hidden but now revealed, is that Christ is in us. Christ, He is in us. He has come to us in that sense. No, it isn't the fulfillment of the second coming. We know that that coming is, is different. Uh, but this one, this sense of His in us, being in us, is fulfilled through the other comforter, the Spirit of God. And that is, that is how it is fulfilled. And Christ does dwell in us, the hope of glory. You see, Christ is in us. Even now, He's in us. We know Him because the Spirit of God is in us. If the Spirit of God was not in us, we wouldn't know Him. But because we have the Spirit of God in us, then Christ is, dwells with us. Christ dwells with us. And so we find that these things then are made known to us. Our comforter and advocate. The promise concerning the indwelling Holy Spirit of Christ. Now, much, could be, much more could be said about this. He says, verse 19, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Many of these things were said, of course, in, in direct um, association with who Christ was and uh, his relationship to them. At that day ye shall know that I am in, I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. So this, this unique, here it is, this unique relationship of uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God and us, uh, you know, it all comes together upon the basis of the triunity of the Godhead and what Christ accomplished for us. He that hath my commandment and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So again here, this whole love relationship that we have with the Father is this threefold relationship. Of God the Father to God the Son, God the Son to the disciples, the disciples loving the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God dwelling in us. All these things come together upon this very basis. In verse 22, Judas saith unto him, by the way, not Iscariot, <laughs> Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? How will you accomplish this, he says. Uh, so we have to, again, go on. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode in him. We, we will come to him and make our abode in him. So God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and as we know God the Son, we know God the Father. And as we know God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves uniquely related to them. We are a part of the family of God. He will not leave you comfortless. 
He will not leave you as an orphan. You see, he will, he will abide with you. He will abide with you. And so Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, and so here is the sense again of commandment keeping, um, keeping the commandments of Christ, not the Old Testament law, the royal law, spoken of in James, and that is if you love me, he says, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him, and make our abode with him, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now see, this takes us back again to the very fact that Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will. Not his own. He came to fulfill the Father's will. That's why he could ask the Father, because it was the Father's will that the Spirit should come. And for... and be that comforter to the disciples and continue in the work of the ministry. These things have I spoken unto you, being present with you, verse 25. You know, he spoke of these things. He talked to them, counseled them, comforted them, became their advocate. Now the Spirit of God would be their comforter, would be their counselor, would be their advocate, and he is ours as well. These things have I spoken unto you, being present with you. But the Comforter, again, the Parakletos, who is the Holy Spirit, and it comes right out and says so right here, doesn't it? He is the Spirit of God, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. In other words, he becomes that final teacher within the heart of the believer. Uh, so that's why we say, as First John 2, 20 and 27 indicates to us, uh, that there is a holy unction from God and that the Spirit of God is our divine teacher and you need not that any man teach you it doesn't say you don't need a pastor or you don't need those who are instructors in righteousness it just says the Spirit of God is the final teacher and of course that is true isn't it what lessons have you ever learned that the Spirit of God didn't teach you you see you don't, you don't, it is not, it's not a great academia that teaches you things when it comes to the Christian faith. It's the Spirit of God who impresses it upon you. Yes, God will use others as His servants, as His dikaios, as, his, as those who are His deacons or servants. God will use them. But the Spirit of God has to do the teaching. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatever I have said unto you. And so here, of course, that special word to the disciples, don't worry, if you don't think you've got it all yet, remember this, the Comforter is going to help you with this. He's going to be there. He's going to be your counselor, he's going to be your teacher, he's going to be your advocate, he's going to be the one who will minister to you. Even though I won't personally be with you in person, but I will in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit of God. I will be with you. A comforter and advocate. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for these words and pray, Lord. Minister to them that we may ask in your name, ask in the name of Jesus those things that are most fitting to glorify the Father and the Son. In Jesus' name.
Amen.